Hello and welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program providing a gender analysis of contemporary issues from Australia and internationally. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today's episode of Women on the Line commemorates May Day, International Workers' Day, and in so doing, we look at the no-profit-from-rape campaign run by the 1-800-RESPECT telephone workers to defend their jobs and their service. 1-800-RESPECT is the national helpline and online counselling service for sexual assault and domestic violence. These are the workers from the Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia who have been answering calls from across the country for the last six years. Like many social services, 1-800-RESPECT is disproportionately a women's workforce and again, like social services in this period, they're facing funding cuts and pressure from the government to do more with less. This vital service is being trashed and all of the counselling staff are about to be sacked. They've started a public campaign to stop this from happening and they need your urgent and active solidarity. Simone White is one of these workers. She's also a unionist and has been critical to the campaign. I'm going to play two speeches she gave recently, one at the International Women's Day March in Sydney, Australia, but first up, a talk she gave on the neoliberalisation of the care sector at the Marxism Conference held in Melbourne over the Easter long weekend. I'm going to sort of talk about two things um, with respect to the neoliberalisation of the community services sector, which is also um, sometimes interchangeably called the social services sector or the human services sector. It's, it's pretty much um, the same thing when you hear those terms. Um, and those two things are firstly just a very broad overview of the sort of process of neoliberalisation of the community services sector um, in Australia, but it kind of applies um, generally to the Western world. Um, and then secondly, I am just going to give a bit of an overview of the campaign that my co-workers and I uh, decided that we wanted to run uh, and fight um, with the backing of the ASU in New South Wales. Um, and that's to try to save our service, Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia. It's a 50-year-old service that was established out of the women's liberation movement uh, in the 1970s. It was originally the New South Wales Rape Crisis Centre uh, and it's expanded somewhat to become uh, the service that it is today. So we're fighting to um, save uh, pretty much the entire service because we've been running the 1800 Respect National Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Service for the last six years and uh, what, what the Liberal government have done uh, in the last sort of year or so is hand over most of our funding to Medibank, um, a for-profit insurance company who are now making profits out of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, so we're fighting to save the service but also um, to save the jobs of about 100 women workers. The story of the community services sector, um, how the sector came into existence, how it started to expand um, and how very shortly after its inception um, how the mechanisms of neoliberal capitalism started to trash the sector and disband it and start this process that is accelerating at the moment um, wherein the sector is being privatised and outsourced uh, and human suffering is literally being turned into a, a commodity to make profits out of. That story is a, is a pretty terrible story um, but I think it's also a really instructive story just generally about Australian society and Australian capitalism and it's a story that parallels the neoliberal gutting of the community services and welfare states um, predominantly Dominantly across the Western world in the last 30 to 40 uh, years or so. But I want to make the point that of all the countries that established welfare states and social services in, in the post-war period, which is when most welfare states uh, and the community services sector sort of came into existence, 
that Australia's welfare state um, and, com and community sector has consistently been amongst the worst. Um, in fact, the very worst when you look at the OECD countries uh, in general, so the sort of 20 to 30 or so OECD countries that um, have set up welfare states and that sort of have some semblance of community services, Australia really actually has pretty consistently ranked um, as having the worst out of those um, OECD countries. And I think that's potentially a bit of a surprise to, to a bunch of people, you know, that Australia is constantly touted as being the lucky country, that we're sort of constantly touted, politicians constantly tout that we have these, you know, impressive array of sort of essential community services and so on. I think there's sort of a fairly widely held view, or there has been, partly because the major parties constantly spruik this idea that there's endless pots of money, you know, and that they're always talking about welfare bludges and dole cheats and, you know, the excessive amounts of money that Aboriginal services constantly get that they squander and waste. Like, there's kind of this rhetoric that goes along with the way um, the Australian uh, welfare state and social services are set up, um, which I think gives the impression sometimes that we have a much better state um, of social services than most other countries, and that is simply not true. The reality is actually quite a long way away from those myths. And to narrow it down a bit and to actually kind of put it into statistical, a sort of statistical representation, if you access the graphs that show you the way Australia is ranked in terms of social spending against the other OECD countries, there's two things that stand out. The first thing is that especially in the last couple of decades, Australia sits at the top of the pile in terms of the wealthiest countries in the OECD. So we are in like the top four, top five. Um, we are considered one of the richest countries of all the countries in the world. We're at the top of the pile. In terms of social spending, we're at the bottom. We are down at the bottom of the pile, and I'm talking like in the bottom four in terms of the amount of money that we spend on social spending. So we're down with Slovenia, um, we're down with Ireland, which as people know has been through an appalling economic crisis and their whole um, social services sector has been gutted. We're down with the United States. Um, sometimes we're actually, well, we are at the moment, we do worse than the United States. The United States in terms of um, social spending. Um, and the countries that do better than us are countries like, at the moment, Portugal and Spain, which, as people know, have just endured... The, like, they've been hit the hardest by the global economic crisis. They spend more on social services and community services than what Australia does. And I think that that is pretty appalling um, when you consider a bunch of uh, factors. Firstly, that we didn't really even start to have a semi-decent community services or social services sector in Australia until the, the mid-1970s. And one of the reasons for that is because of the social conservatism of the 1950s and the 1960s. So in the 50s and 60s, most of the sort of um, core services that we consider as part of the, the community sector today, they just didn't exist. So services for women, um, for women uh, that are going through unplanned pregnancies, rape and domestic violence services, um, a bunch of the Aboriginal services that exist today, Aboriginal housing, Aboriginal legal services, Aboriginal rights services, 
the LGBTI services that exist, housing services, youth services, a whole bunch of the community mental health services that exist today, none of these services existed really until um, sort of the mid-1970s because of the conservatism um, of the period of the 50s and 60s. And as we know, many of those services had to be fought for out of the social movements of the 60s and 70s. So we don't really even have a community sector that's funded by the government in any substantive way until the mid-1970s. And then as the 1980s roll around um, and a neoliberal consensus begins uh, to build all around the world, that neoliberal consensus starts to trash all of those services. Um, and all of the sort of policies of privatisation uh, and commodifying that people start to realise um, as the neoliberal consensus goes that there's un literally untapped market, um, which is that you can actually make... There's a lot of money to be made. Um, out of human suffering. And so that's where phrases like economic rationalism, competition, efficiency, productivity start to enter into the lexicon of social workers and psychologists and youth workers uh, and other community workers and allied health staff. Um, and just to give people or remind people um, of a kind of horrifying insight into the ideological justifications made for these neoliberal policies, I stumbled across a research paper that was done uh, in around 1998 just about the community services sector in Australia and it focused a little bit on the ideological justifications that the Howard government made for privatising community services and starting to introduce competitive tendering, which is now um, a staple aspect of the community services sector that predominates in the sector. This research paper kind of went through in broad terms how the Howard government, like the Thatcher government in Britain and, um, uh, and the Reagan government in uh, the United States and all these neoliberal warriors started to make this argument that individuals and families are responsible for the welfare and the well-being of themselves and their own members. It's a very hard ideological argument that's pushed and that was pushed by Howard and that was pushed uh, by the neoliberal governments all around the world, um, that there's some sort of moral failing in people, there's some sort of individual moral failing or fa failing of a family if they're not looking after people uh, themselves. And so this is a quote from John Howard from a speech that he gave to the Wesley Mission uh, in 1998. He referred to the need for society to, quote, understand the impact of a lessened sense of personal and family responsibility, which is a characteristic of modern Western society of the 1980s and 1990s. And then at a roundtable dinner uh, in 1998, he again referred to this responsibility Unsurprisingly, uh, when the Howard government was pushing the mutual ob obligation provisions for young people involved in the Work for the Dole program. So there are some of sort of the ideological justifications that have gone along with the territory of, like, to, to rationalise the economic decisions of pushing the costs um, of, you know, that should be socialised, you know, socialised costs back onto individuals and the families. The impact um, of these policies and these ideas is having a devastating effect on community services and social services um, in Australia now. And so just to give you a bit of an idea of how, pro how far this process of privatisation uh, and contracting out of what should be socialised services, how far that's gone, I just want to give an example before I talk about my own workplace, about what happened in New South Wales um, last year, or just sort of in the last 18 months. And this happened when Rosie Batty was Australian of the Year. Um, some people might remember that the bad, the, the bad Liberal government, um, although 
the Labor Party were planning to do this in New South Wales anyway, but when Baird was elected, when the Liberals were elected, in the last year or so, they shut down over 80 specialised women's services in New South Wales. Now, they're services that have been built up over decades that are now completely gone, and they will never, ever be reinstated, those services. They're lost. Over 500 women workers lost their jobs. And the reality of that situation is now that you can be in a certain part of New South Wales and not be able to access a women's refuge for 300 kilometres. You just can't access a refuge. It means services that were specialised, like culturally specific services for women experiencing domestic violence, services that tailored to the needs of young women, adolescent women, all sorts of specialised services have completely disappeared. And what the government did um, was to really structurally reform um, the sec the sort of that part of the sector. So that now if you need a refuge or emergency accommodation and you're a woman with children, you can end up in a generic homelessness service. All the services are generic homelessness, homelessness services now, um, meaning that you can end up in a, a, a place with, you know, um, people that have disabilities, um, men that have serious drug and alcohol problems, men that have just come out of prison, um, you know, people with chronic health problems. Everyone is sort of lumped into the same uh, service. Um, and and that, that is a loss that will, like, that, that'll just never be turned around because the pattern of Labor governments is that they don't get elected and then overturn these decisions and reinstitute the services. They just don't do that. Um, the Liberals have taken a... The Liberals have slashed a billion dollars to community services funding since Abbott was elected. So since the Abbott government was elected, the Liberals have slashed a billion dollars um, from the community services sector, and Turnbull's just slated another $3 billion to be cut um, in the next couple of years. There's obviously the huge loss of specialist knowledge um, that just disappears. It also means that um, the... The, it means that workers themselves end up getting paid less because you end up in jobs that are then run by, for example, the big faith-based organisations. So all the big faith-based organisations have taken over the running of women's refuge services in New South Wales and they pay their staff nothing. Um, the other thing uh, that happens is that when private... Um, private for-profit companies tender against community services to win um, contracts to run community services, they also... Um, you, I mean, you can't really compete against them as a not-for-profit because they out-tender everyone and then pay their staff nothing. So it's degrading the, the quality of the services that are provided to people, but it's also degrading the working conditions of workers um, right across the sector. Um, and it means massive job insecurity. Competitive tendering means the government will say, we'll give you two years of funding or three years of funding, um, which means that there's all these new social workers coming out of university now who end up in a job maybe for three months, uh, and then they've got to go find another job and then they're in that for a year and then they might be in the next one for two years. How, how often do you get a mortgage or plan your life when you don't know if, if you're actually you know, going to have a job? It's creating massive precarity for workers in the sector. Um, what happened to our service, as I mentioned before, is that the Liberals, they've been... When 1800 Respect the National DV and Sexual Assault Service came into being six years ago... What happened was that the Liberals decided to give the contract to two places, Medibank, um, the insurance company, um, but really just to provide sort of the telephony software that we, um, Rape and Domestic Violence Services, use to roll the program out, right? 
The executive officer of Medibank Health Services, which is a subsidiary company of Medibank, said in these words to our executive officer, you do know that we're in this to make money. That, that's what the executive officer said right from the beginning. And they have been gunning to take our service down for the last six years. Eventually, they found a brother-in-arms in Christian Porter, the Federal um, Minister for Social Services, um, who did a dirty deal um, at the beginning of last year to malign our service. Um, they came out publicly and basically said that we weren't doing a good enough job because we weren't answering all of the phone calls that were coming through. The phone calls to the service increased from 20,000 in the first year, six years ago, to 60,000, um, but the funding never increased um, to be able to actually answer all the calls. So they used this as a way of saying, you're not doing a good enough job, so we're going to give the money instead to Medibank, who now run a triage service, and I won't get into all the details of that, but basically what it means, as you can imagine, is a degraded kind of McDonald's drive-through service where they answer all the calls and they just farm people out. They're on time limits. They have to get people on and off the phone in 5, 10, 15 minutes, um, farm them out to non-existent services um, on the ground because those services are being shut down, um, and they are making a profit out of it. They made $511 million last year, Medibank Health Services, out of running our service and Beyond Blue. They run the Beyond Blue telephone helpline now. And they are in the process of grabbing a whole bunch of other community services um, in the sector. What it's really about is that the government, uh, the federal government is about to put out a massive tender for a new national health service, telephone service, a federal service, for which Bupa and Medibank are competing against each other. It's a multi-billion dollar contract. And so them taking our service is about trying to prove to the government, hey, look, we already run all these national telephone services, so you should give us that contract. Um, we obviously have decided to put up a fight. Um, and so what that means is that in the last three years... Um, I managed to uh, unionise the whole service. There were about 15 people in the union when I started working there three years ago. There's now 100 people in the union. We're all in the union. Um, it's all women workers. Um, our sector is not well unionised. It never really has been. And it's not well known for militant you know, industrial campaigns. It's hard to run militant industrial campaigns in our sector because it's not easy to go on strike. We don't have the same sort of industrial power as building and construction workers do, for example. But we have moral power. We have a moral authority, right? Um, and certainly with the proper backing um, of a union, I think you can uh, win over. It's really easy to win over public support, and we have won over a lot of public support. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. You've been hearing Simone White give a talk at the Marxism conference about the neoliberalisation of the care sector, as well as some detail of the industrial dispute at 1-800-RESPECT. Simone also spoke at the International Women's Day rally in Sydney, Australia. I'm here as all of those women workers over there from Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia who are fighting for our funding and fighting for our jobs. We are fighting so that we can continue to provide the essential service that our not-for-profit organisation has delivered for six years, running the most comprehensive telephone-based sexual assault and domestic violence support service in this country and in many regards in the whole world, the 1-800-RESPECT National Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Line. And that incredible and essential service and all of the tireless work 
work of those women over there, the tireless 24-hour hour work of all of us, is now being trashed by a government and a corporation that have decided that making profits out of rape and domestic violence is an okay thing to do. In 2015, Malcolm Turnbull and Michaelia Cash, that woman who fails to remember to report the multi-million dollar investment properties that she has, they fronted the media and announced to the world that the Liberal government were going to provide uh, an extra $5 million in funding to the 1800 Respect Service so that we could answer more of the calls to our service uh, that we could not respond to straight away because we simply did not have the resources to do so and to meet the enormous demand. What they did not front the media to announce was that they didn't give us a cent of that money. Instead, they took most of the service away from us and redirected millions of dollars to Medibank Health Solutions, a subsidiary company of Medibank Private. So now, so now we don't answer any of the calls initially. The sexual assault and domestic violence specialists don't answer the calls. Medibank runs a triage call centre with workers working from their own homes answering the calls of traumatised people and Medibank make a profit out of it. They make a profit out of human suffering. So if it's not bad enough that women, children, men and LGBTI people are traumatised by domestic violence and sexual assault, an insurance company makes profits from it. It is so grotesque, it beggars belief. And if that is not enough, our service and the women workers from our service have been maligned to justify handing over this money and trashing 1800 Respect. And I was trying to think about the most kind of polite way to explain uh, what this process of malignment has been like. And somewhat ironically, uh, I think the, the sort of language of Donald Trump and his malicious uh, political aides kind of uh, gets to the point. People probably are now familiar with the term alternative facts. Uh, well, staff at Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia have become accustomed to alternative facts being put forward to rationalise why our funding has been taken away and why the Liberals want to see all of us women workers out of our jobs. And there is a pretty gross irony and coincidence about all of that. There is a gross irony about women workers at a domestic violence and sexual assault service being threatened with losing their jobs and those same women workers having alternative facts put forward to justify why they're going to lose their jobs, and those same women workers trying to speak out for themselves and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault being threatened not to speak out or not to speak to the media. The irony, of course, is that these are exactly the kinds of experiences that victims of domestic violence and sexual assault are subjected to over and over again. Not believed, silenced, controlled, maligned and threatened that if they stick up for themselves, they will pay the price and that price might be huge. And the coincidence is that these are the kinds of threats that are made and are being made against workers all around Australia at the moment and they always are really, aren't they? Shut up about your penalty rates being cut and actually while we're at it, that'll be good for you. It'll be good um, for workers to get penalty rate cuts. Shut up about John Howard's uh, police force for building and construction workers being reintroduced, meaning that if a worker dies or is seriously injured on a work site, like what happened in Sydney last week, 
when a young man lost his life, that if you sh if you want to go on strike or have industrial action about something like that on your workplace, you can be fined and locked up. Simone White from 1800 Respect and the Australian Services Union. If you want to support these workers in their fight for their jobs and to retain this critical service, go to www.noprofitfromrape.org. And that's all we have time for today. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at womenontheline at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear a podcast of this show or any of our previous programs, go to the 3CR website and follow the links to this week's show. That website is 3cr.org.au. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. Get up. Get down. Women workers make the world go around. Get up. Get down. Women workers make the world go around. Get up. Get down. Women workers make the world go around. Get up. Get down. Women workers make the world go around. Get up. Get down.